well. A good Bible teacher does not have an intro to an intro in a Bible study. But I'm not a very good Bible teacher, so I don't have to worry about things like that. So we're going to have an intro to our intro. And the intro to the intro of the intro, they say you can't bake your cake and eat it too. You can't have two things at the same time. And the, the two things in this portion of Scripture is we have a very deep theological expression of the Messiah and his wooing of the church and the Holy Spirit. And then we have some very, on the other side, practical family relationship issues that are handling. And, it, and if you're smart, you would pick one as a Bible teacher and you just focus on that one. Well, I'm not a good Bible teacher, nor am I very smart. So I'm going to lean on your intelligence for us to be able to sift through both at the same time as we go through this next section of Scripture. So we're going to be all over the place. Buckle up, strap in, make sure you're tracking with me because we're going to move pretty quickly. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and we'll go for another intro. (laughs) Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you so much, Lord, for how deep the depth of your word, Lord, We could spend years just on small sections in individual verses, and yet we can also go through it very quickly and glean so much from it as well. We pray, Lord, that we would receive exactly what you have for each and every one of us this morning in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we celebrated the resurrection weekend together. We had a nice little reprieve from this very, very sad story, at least to to start off. Two weeks ago when we started the book of Ruth, we saw all the husbands died. It was a bad day to be a husband. And we have three widows two weeks ago. And now two of the widows, Naomi, the mother-in-law, and Ruth, the daughter-in-law, have decided to throw it all away, to throw away any little thing that they had left, go back to Israel, start over, no hope, no future, no uh, expectation of anything. They were just going to make their way back. And that's what we're going to pick up this week in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. Now let's read together verses 1 through 3 as yet another character is going to be mentioned. Verse 1, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the family of Elimelech. Ruth has no idea who Boaz is, just another guy. But the scripture is very quick to mention this guy. Now, this guy is going to be a type of Christ throughout this entire book. And we're going to be touching on how that is and why that is. But I want to look at some of these deep theological illustrations before we get to the nitty-gritty of just our family life. Number one, Boaz, his name means standing in strength. Now, David, years later, well, his son Solomon to be specific, 
he is so impressed with his great-great-grandfather that in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 21, Boaz is the name of one of the pillars of the temple. And so for generations, for centuries later, when you walked into the temple and you saw those two huge pillars, one of them would be named Boaz. The legacy here. All of them are going to be pointing to Christ. We need to remember that as we went through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus, as we continue to go through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, shameless plug, that all of the priestly duties, every single thing of the Old Testament is pointing to our Messiah, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, especially this pillar of faith, literally, Boaz. Now, again, Ruth, no idea who this guy is, but the the scripture is very quick to point him out. Now, we're using a strange word here that we don't use for anything else. I already mentioned in our prayers, glean. What does the word glean mean? If English is your second language, rest assured, nobody knows what it means in English too. You're okay. But the definition of glean is to gather grain or produce left by reapers. So reapers are people that are harvesting wheat And as they're harvesting, things are falling to the ground, little seeds. We'll look at that later. And to glean is to pick little by little, each little piece, one by one. The second definition is to gather information or material bit by bit. So we may say in English, um, we are gleaning from the book of Ruth. That means we're picking the little, little pieces, little bit by bit, and we're taking them home. Now, the reason she asked this, is important because in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And it seems pretty cut and dry, right? There's a law. You do the law. This is what it says. This is what everyone should do. But you're forgetting something. Context. What time frame is this happening in? This is the time of the judges. There is no government. Nobody's in charge. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. And just as you have Boaz and his field, they're keeping the biblical law, next door could be idol worship at the top of a hill. Or there could be another believer or person of the nation of Israel who's not doing that. Like, I'm not giving my extra food to the poor. They didn't sow it. They didn't reap it. They didn't invest in it. I'm not doing that. I'll just follow the other portions of the law. And no one would stop them. So when we get to the nitty-gritty, our families and our life in this time frame That's exactly what's going on with us. You know, what portions of the scripture are we keeping in our lives? What what are we deciding to glean from? Where are we deciding to obey? Boaz, this guy, is deciding that in a lawless time, in a time when anyone can go their own way, as for his household and his business, they're going to follow the word of God. And it's going to have tremendous consequences. And most importantly, switching gears again. It's going to be an illustration of our Lord and his relationship with us, the church. And again, I am hoping that you are sharper than I am and that you're going to be able to follow both tracks at the same time. 
Now, it says here that she left, verse 3, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. That's fascinating. So she is going to be obedient to this. Now, remember, the people don't have to follow this. Remember also, she is a Moabitess. Not only is she a widow and a stranger, she's a part of a specific tribe that has been commanded that they are not allowed to have access to the temple for a thousand years. A thousand, ten generations cannot enter the table, the temple in the book of Exodus from Moses. So she's supposed to be a castaway, a cast off. And they're very quick to say, Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. In its culture, it's being emphasized over and over again. You know, and, and some of us here, you may feel like you're ashamed or your lineage or your background means that you can't be a real churchy person. You can't be a real Christian. That that's for the real religious people. You know, the real holy rollers that send their kids to private Christian school. You know, those are the real Christians. I'm just one of the widows. No, 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 no. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. But the scripture says she just happened at the end of verse 3, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I would, with the deepest sense of sarcasm, say, what a lucky coincidence. <laughs> but she's not at home begging the Lord, oh, Lord, please, feel, feel, you know, please provide for me, Lord, please bring me a husband, oh, Lord, Lord, and sitting there praying. No, she just goes, like, all right, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go figure this thing out. Remember, she doesn't, she's never read this book. She doesn't know what's going to happen. <laughs> she doesn't know that her wildest dreams are about to come true as she is following after Christ. She gave up her whole life. Remember, she could have gone back to Moab. She could have had a regular, got a nice Moab husband, had a nice job, had a nice little Moabite family. But she stayed loyal to Naomi, and she decided to give it all up. Where are they living right now? Nobody even knows. It's not even written. What kind of job does she get? Let's get a little more nitty-gritty. She's like an illegal immigrant. She's got to work under the table. She can't get a regular job. She doesn't have the right papers. She's from the wrong tribe. She speaks the wrong language. She's got the wrong background. But God cares. God has made provision for her. And so she leaves, gets up in the morning, says, well, I can't stay here. And she just decides to go out and give it a try. But she just happened to get into the right field. Christian, identifying with ourselves as followers of Christ We need to walk with the Lord. How is your walk with the Lord? We walk by faith and not by sight. The Lord's not going to give you the five-point plan. I know. I beg him all the time for it. He consistently says, let's just go and see where we end up. And you'll just happen to find into all the right places. When you walk by faith and you trust the Lord, you will just happen. You'll start to look back and say, wow, that was so fortunate. That was incredible. More on that in a little bit. Now, let's continue. As Naomi is now in a field, sowing, or gleaning, excuse me, trying to make ends meet. Now, verse 4. Now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came 
and has continued from morning until now, that she, though she rested a little bit in the house. Now let's talk about Boaz for a little bit. We're going to focus on him just as an individual. Naomi's family in the last famine decided to leave and go into the land of Moabites because there was a nice job there. The economy was good. They were going to try and get by and get away from the famine. They were supposed to stay in their family plot and their family land and trust the Lord. They did not. Boaz did. Boaz stayed in Israel in the times of famine. And here he is now running a family business. He's in charge. And apparently his employees, his servants, they respect him. The emphasis here in the scripture as he's making this salutation and they're saluting him back, the Lord be with you and the Lord be with you, is that they have a healthy, respectful relationship. I'm not going to say like some Bible scholars that they loved him. That's, you're going crazy. That's inferring way too much from the text. I'm not going to say anything other than that, but there seems to be, at face value, a deep respect, at least, at a minimum. Now, this guy is not married. How old is he? What's his family lineage? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. But let's get down to the practical. All the guys are in their field, and he's going to show up and check on the business, and he immediately sees Ruth. Now, Let's talk about what we don't know. How many women are there gleaning? How many strangers and widows are there from that field? We don't know. Could be a few. Could be a lot. Maybe Boaz's field is the only one where they're being obedient to the Lord's scripture. Maybe there's a lot of them. We don't know. But what we do know, I see from the, we'll see in the text later on. There's more than one woman. Naomi's not on her own. And Boaz is a strapping young lad, and he happens to notice this young lady apart from the rest. Who's that? What's going on over here? And he's asking the guys. Now, let's talk about culture for a little bit, cultural context. He could march right over there and be like, you know, you're pretty attractive. You're coming with me. But but he doesn't. This is when we're going to get into the more practical matters, the nitty-gritty about relationships, about dating, about, you know, men and women, the only two genders. And we're going <laughs> to talk about relationships between those two. And, and we're going to get into those, those nitty-gritty things. And what does that mean for us here in our book of Judges, in our land where all men do what is right in their own, in all, their own eyes? Now, before we do that, I want to go back to the deep, deep scripture. Who is the servant? See, the servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. He's unnamed. He has no name. He is a servant of Boaz, the man of strength, and he is the intercessor. You're going to see that there's going to be communication between Ruth and Boaz, and the unnamed servant is going to be the communicator. The same way that the Holy Spirit most of the time stays anonymous in the church and woos the bride of Christ and brings us to our Boaz, our Lord Jesus and that there's restoration, and there is reformation through Christ for us, that he changes us, he conforms us, he, he redeems us, and brings us back into the family, restoring that which was lost in the Garden of Eden, our fellowship with God himself. And it's all being played out in this woman's misery. You see, that's what I want to share with you when we're going back to the practical. Most of us here have not had the joy of hand-harvesting straw. I have had that. 
It is back-breaking labor. It is methodical. It is hot. Every time I've done it, it's been in the summer or in the fall. And it is terrible. I've gotten into a lot of fights with my grandfather over why in the world are we hand-raking this. I will gladly give my paycheck to get the machine that bails these things for free. Little did I know what God was using that for. A sermon illustration in 2022. When you're, when you're harvesting wheat and doing it by hand, you're bent over on your back with a sickle or some kind of cutting instrument, and you're grabbing these bundles bit by bit, you're piling them together, you're wrapping them up, and then you've got to bring them over to be harvested. And it is inch by inch by inch. Now, if you're gleaning, you're bent over on your back or crawling on your hands and knees, and you're picking little grains of wheat that have fallen off and you're putting them in a bag. We could think in the south here of cotton picking. When you have that huge bag behind you, and you're crawling on your hands and knees, and you're harvesting from cotton. I didn't know till I moved to the south that the cotton plant is only like this big. I envisioned them being these big old bushes. I didn't know they're like little weeds growing out of the ground. And then I saw some historical photographs, and they were showing how they were hand-picked. I said, oh my gosh, that is terrible. That's got to be the worst job on the planet. That's bone-breaking labor. Have you, ever been, have you ever had your soul crushed by your job? Like just hour after hour after hour of methodical work. You got home, you're barely awake. You fall asleep. You got to get back up, drag yourself out to do it again. That's what it means by gleaning. That's what it means by this harvest. And this lady, Ruth, is doing it. And the servant is very quick to point out, yes, she's been harvesting all day. She went home to take a nap like the rest of us, little siesta, and came back again and started back up. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Now, I wanted you guys to see what a harvest, what a wheat harvest looks like. So I, I got a little photo for us. I this picture here shows us a field that is full of wheat. Now, they're out there, hands and knees are bent over on their back, and they're cutting these things piece by piece by piece. And she's picking those little heads, those kernels that are falling off out of the ground. Now, this picture just happens to be from eastern Ukraine, not current, last few years. When they talk about the wheat harvest out there, bumper crops. They, don't have, they didn't have the machines and the technology that we have now. This is back-breaking labor. Why do I keep saying this? Why do I keep re-emphasizing this? Because it identifies with us in our lives. The Lord is working supernaturally and has a message of restoration between the church and our Savior through the Holy Spirit and how through them, through Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God himself, you have access to God the Father. And he's using this family in this situation but when we identify it with ourselves, have you ever thought that maybe that job situation you had was a blessing from God instead of the curse that you ask him, why me? Why do you allow this? She just happened to pick this field. What a lucky coincidence, we said. And I'm trying to remind you guys that, no, this is terrible. She's probably in that field every hour questioning, why did I follow this lady out here? 
Why did I do this? She has no husband. She has no children. She has no options. She's an illegal immigrant, and she's washing tables, bussing tables. She's got nowhere to go. God, oh God, why did I come here? Now, it's tough for me. I don't want to be insinuating what she's thinking because I don't know exactly what she was thinking. But this is David's great-grandma, Solomon's great-grandma. This is the lineage of Christ. Christ is going to come from this family, from Boaz and Ruth. Spoiler alert, they're going to hook up at the end of this. (laughs) And they're going to have kids. We don't know what our future is, just like she didn't know at that time. But Boaz, this is when we're going to get into the family, Boaz is watching. Before he does anything, before he sees anything, he's watching her. So if if you're a widow, if if you're single and you're trying to figure out how do I do this thing, get into a relationship. We know relationships are from God. How do I do this thing in the 21st century? Like, How how do I navigate this? We, We know a biblical model in our minds, but that biblical model is for Puritans. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't keep that perfect standard apart from Christ. The perfect standard is complete celibacy until marriage. And if we're going to be biblical about it, it means you can't even have a thought of longing of another person because you're committing adultery with your future spouse if you even look at a person to lust after them, man or woman. So you can't keep the perfect standard. It's impossible. But we do have to walk in the calling in which we are called. We need to be a follower of Christ. And we need to realize, like it says in Galatians, that as we sow, that shall we also reap. Boaz is very smart because he's watching her character first. The character is more important. So if, if we're going to give advice to younger people or older people or people that are widows or people that are trying to get, quote, unquote, back onto the market, don't jump into things. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. The Lord is in control. It's difficult, yes, but we do not need to force the Lord's hand. We're going to see that in a little bit. And so I want you to put a bookmark in there. We're going, to, we're going to talk about relationships and the family and things like that. But right now, before we continue verses 8 through 10, I want you to see that they are all, Boaz and Ruth, Naomi, they're walking by faith. Nobody knows what's going to happen here except for us who's already read the story before. But it's easier for us to identify with what's going on, and it's easier for us to put ourselves in those shoes when we start to build the cultural background of what's going on here and reminding ourselves that this is taking place in the book of Judges. This is not a fairy tale, although it's definitely going to play out like one. This is historical fact. The only thing that makes it a fairy tale is that the Lord is in control. If you want your life to be a fairy tale, stick with the Lord. Stick with his word, follow after him, and you'll just happen to find yourself in Boaz's field. You'll just happen to find yourself into the soul-crushing, menial job that you think is a curse that is actually a divine blessing. You just have to walk it out with him before you find out. Now, verses 8 through 10. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. 
Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Not just a foreigner, but a Moabite. If he, he shouldn't even be speaking with her. Culturally, within the nation of Israel, he should be not even addressing her. They shouldn't even be having this conversation. But Boaz, he just he can't help it, right? He's got to go talk to this lady. And this is a picture of the grace of God, the grace of God, that our Boaz, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, came into the world, manifested himself to go after those that are rejected by our own sins, by our own, our own background, keeps us from being in the presence of God, keeps us from going into the tabernacle, keeps us from going into the temple, into the presence of God. But the Lord goes out of his way to get us and to rescue us. He comes to us. We can't go to him. He comes to us. Now, this conversation is important. It's going to come up later. The detail is that Boaz says, don't go to any other fields. Don't go to anybody else. Stay here. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to protect you. And I've told the men, none of them can touch you. Why does he have to go out of his way to say that? Because human beings have not changed. 21st century human beings are no different than 3rd century B.C. human beings, than 2000 B.C. human beings. Humanity does not change. We have all fallen. We're all sinners, short, fallen short of the glory of God. We have the same carnal minds. We have the same faculties. We have the same brains. The only thing that has changed is technology, and that just makes us worse, not better. But we, we have this fantasy in our in our our minds where when we look at these historical situations and we make them into fairy tales where they're all great Jewish people that love the Lord and never do anything wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. These men there are just as likely a few of them to rape her. She's a mobile. Who cares? There's some that want to take her as a wife. They, they just, they want to marry a foreign person. They're not supposed to. The only reason that Boaz is even supposedly scripturally able to marry her is because a family member of his already married her and broke the law. And he is the redeemer. We're going to talk about that later. Now, we need to be crystal clear that for men and women alike, nothing is new under the sun. Nothing is new. And so in some areas... I am accused of being a Puritan and a fundamentalist. Guilty. Sign me up. And it's not because religious habit is going to fix us. No. But the Bible says in the book of Romans, make no provision for the flesh. Boaz makes it crystal clear. Don't touch this woman. Don't go near her. Don't hug her. Don't hold her hand. Don't wink at her. Stay away from her. And in the New Testament, we should be crystal clear Young men, young women, older men, older women that are, st- are, are looking for companionship. 1 Corinthians 7, now concerning the things you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Why? Why? Because humanity hasn't changed. I don't care if you're 80 years old or 18 years old or 13 years old. We, are, we all have the same drive. All of us do. 
Well, Mike, you're not looking at modern science. What are you, a biologist? Don't you watch the news? Oy vey. I, I, I read an article that a transgender man who went to a, woman, a women's facility impregnated three prisoners. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing is new under the sun. It, the Bible is crystal clear, a manual for living, a manual for dying, a manual for living for eternity. Nothing, nothing new, guys, nothing new. So the question then is, how do we use the Bible for modern-day living and modern-day relationships? How do we address the two? Because there's a divorce in our mind between this ancient text for ancient people and this living document for our lives today. Now, just as in the time of the judges today, man does what is right in their own eyes. So you have to make decisions on marriage and relationships, and we live in a time of grace. I tell you now, be patient. As a pastor, the most common advice that I'm giving to anybody of any generation that is looking for another spouse or looking for companionship is be patient. All this stuff's going to come up here in a little bit as we close the text out. Be wise and wait for godly opportunity. First opportunity is not godly opportunity. Underline it. I'm speaking to all generations. If you're giving advice to anybody, because the first person they fall in love with, the first person they notice, the first opportunity for companionship, they think, I'm not going to get another chance. This is the best it's going to get. I'm going to take it. No, no. Listen to me now. I don't want to have you in my office later in counseling session. No, no, no. Don't touch them. Don't think about it. Separate. Because nothing's new under the sun. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. But Mike, you know, this is the 21st century. You know, we can't be just living like that anymore. That's your decision. That's your decision. We need to identify with ourselves. Am I going to do what the TV tells me to do, or am I going to do what the Bible tells me to do? Am I going to do what my cell phone tells me to do, what the media is telling me to do, or am I going to do what the Bible tells me to do? Ultimately, it's your choice. Nobody's watching you. We need to make some some clear decisions. Boaz says to Ruth, without saying it, you know, you need to stay with me. So then, ladies, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, now what in the world am I going to do about this? Because Naomi and Ruth are both widows. They, they want companionship. Typically speaking, not all the time, not all the time, I'm not making a general, a super general broad, but typically speaking, ladies want companionship far more than men do. Now, men need companions. We are, we are made to have a helper. That's how God designed Adam and Eve. But the ladies, in terms of uh, my pastoral experience, longing, going out of their way and pre-planning ways to get into a relationship. Guys are more like, oh, she's attractive. I want that one. <laughs> the ladies, though, they it typic, not all the time. Everybody's different. I understand that. But it seems more they're making plans, how they're going to be around more guys, how they're going to be talking to them at work, you know, setting these things up. And Ruth is no different. We're going to see that here. We're going to see that here. She's no different. And it's important. But this is the cool thing. Ladies, you need to be looking for this. And boys, gentlemen, men, you need to be this. Boaz is immediately protecting her, he's immediately providing for her, and he's already the priest. He's already has a godly mindset. 
Those are the big three P's. And men, if you want to be the man that God has called you to be, you need to be the provider, the protector, and the priest in the relationship. Because the Bible tells us very clearly God created Adam and Eve, and Adam is the head of the household. Doesn't mean he's the dictator of the household. Doesn't mean that everyone's a slave to him. That's what the world wants you to think. But it does mean that he has to step up to his God-given responsibilities. And ladies, you need to be looking for those things. Before there's even a relationship, Boaz is preparing these things. Now, I don't even know if he knows that he's going to take this. He doesn't even know that he's a redeemer. I don't, I don't know any of those things. But we need to be patient and to be looking for those things. Now, I keep baiting you to the, what's coming up next. So let's get jumping into it, 11 and 14, 11 through 14, excuse me. And now, my daughter, so the conversation is continuing, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Hmm. Now it is true. Oh, thank you. That's chapter 3. I was like, what in the world? Look at that already. Two, three, seven. And only Miss K would speak up. You guys are. I told you I wasn't. Oh, is it? Oh. I got two of them looking out for me. Everyone else, shame on you. So chapter 2, verse 11, and Boaz answered and said to her, that's ironic that they're in a conversation at the same time. It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Before I forget, she kept some back. She's, keeping, she's like stuffing some of the food for later because that's how poor she is. Now, whether she's bringing it back to Naomi or this is going to be her dinner, she's, just, she's taking the table scraps. I remember being, uh, when we went to a restaurant as a young family, my mom, single mom, raising two boys, uh, you know, trying to go to school, working full time. And I remember that if we went to a restaurant, you know, if there was anything left over or if there was something that we could take, we would take that too. And that was going to be a later meal that would be made up. I mean, you're screaming the top. There's no leftovers. It, it, I mean, nothing goes in the trash. All the leftovers come to your house. That's the point they're in right now, Naomi and Ruth. And, but what did Boaz say? We're going to talk about relationships right now. Her character was far more important. It amazes me that character is not even brought up with potential relationships. What is the character of this person's family? What is their individual character? What are they like? Now, notice that when Boaz is speaking to her and he says, your reputation precedes you, it's, how, it's her faith that is amazing. You're trusting God in your life and you're getting nothing back, nothing. The Lord will repay this is when in my family, when these discussions are having in my family, everyone's like, oh, Puritan Mike. And I'm like, if, if this person doesn't love the Lord more than you, you're in trouble. You got yourself in trouble. It should be a constant competition of who loves the Lord more. 
That's the basis for a great relationship. But we just hook up with the first person that's interested. We latch on, and then we say, well, they go to church. They're Christian, like once a year. It's like, well, great. Now you're going to deal with that for the rest of your life, as long as you guys are in a relationship. Now, if that's happened to you, number one, take the blinders off and realize that that's true. But number two, which surpasses number one, the grace of our Lord Jesus, the grace of God. When I was, quote, unquote, Hooked up with Megan. Now, this is the exception to all rules. This never happens. She was not even a believer at the time. But I praise God that the Lord created the spouse that I have today. I praise God for it. Now, if you go into a relationship saying, well, it happened to Pastor Mike. It's going to work out for me too. (laughs) No. No. It doesn't work that way. No, we have to be wise and realize that, yes, we are to be in relationships because there is an other side to that. And the other side is this. We can be so strict, especially if you're a parent with your children, that you're not even in the world of reality anymore. It's not possible. And then when they do have a person in their life, your standards are so high that nobody will ever meet up to those expectations. And then you wonder why they're leaving you and they don't want to talk to you anymore. Because you're not living in reality. You're living in a fantasy land. Well, we need to keep going. Let's go 15 and 17. Amen. <laughs> and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let her grain from the bundles, let the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she has gleaned, and it was about an eve half of barley. Long story short, it's a lot. This is costing Boaz money. This is costing his servants money. They're getting paid by the sheaf, and now they're dropping stuff down. They're not getting paid as much, but that's the order. Because grace is not fair. Grace is not fair. It's unmerited, unearned favor. That's the grace that God pours out on us, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. He gives us the Word of God. Is it fair that people had to be burned at the stake so that we could have the Word of God in English in our lap? No, not fair, but that's grace. Is it fair that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and that fallen angels have no possibility of redemption? Nope, not fair, but that's the goodness of our God and His love for His creation. Grace, unmerited favor. Now, I want to jump to verses 18 through 23. Let's read them together. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her, with, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth and the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter that you go out with, this, with his young women and that people do not meet you in, another, in any other field. 
So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. I'm only going to focus on one portion because there's like four things I wanted to touch on here. We're going to share that. We're going to spend that next week. But I want you to notice a little tit for tat. Number one, mom knows immediately what's going on. Ruth walks in with that big old harvest. She's like, no, 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 no. That don't happen. How did that happen? This relationship is very important between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Now, this conversation, Ruth could 100% say, none of your business. I'll do what I want. I'm a grown woman. I've already been married. I'm going to do whatever I feel like. No, we need to have these conversations, and there is sometimes friction. Now, there's going to be some accountability here. Ruth is going to talk about it. Oh, it's Boaz. I'm at his field. Uh, Naomi's like, oh, my gosh, she's a kingsman redeemer. We'll talk about that next week. I want to point this out. Ruth says in verse 21, He said unto me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. No, no, he didn't. He said, I have told my young men to stay away from you. And Naomi's like, no, that's not a good idea. You do not need to be around the young men. How come? There's nothing new under the sun. Now, I told you, Ruth has the same draw. She's a widow. She wants to get married again and have kids. So she's like, well, I'm not going to get hooked up with anyone if I'm not around all the young men, so I need to hang around the young men. Maybe I'll get quote-unquote lucky. Well, Naomi's like, verse 21, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Nah, she ain't having none of that. And that people do not meet you, in, and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So Naomi's looking out for her. Say, like, no, don't stay around the young men. Don't, don't do it. It's not a good idea. This isn't happening. Now, again, these are grown adults. It's not like mom talking to a teenager who's being raised up in the household. They're grown adults, but they're holding each other accountable. They're having discussions here. And that's a good thing. You know, John Corson in his commentary says, as I read the scriptures more and more, I see a linkage of elders and the youth, of young and old. Young people have zeal, but is often without knowledge. Older people have wisdom, but often lack vision. The two are needed together. Thus we see Moses with Joshua, Elijah with Elisha, Eli with Samuel. There is a need for young and old, for visions and wisdom, for energy and experience to work together. We need each other. And so I have a little, just because you don't see this so often. Look at the generations there. See, our society is trying to separate us and isolate us. Our society and our mainstream media wants to separate older people from younger people. They want the children to be separated from the adults, the family. They want to be indoctrinated by the public school system, by the political system. I'm not going to put my tinfoil hat on here, but I'm going to keep things biblical. And here we see in less than ideal situations the family of two widows. It's not even your quote-unquote perfect nuclear family, Christian family. Still following the Lord, still being accountable to each other. We need these relationships more than ever. We need to be together not separate. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week. I want to go back through verses 17 through 23. But I want to encourage us this morning that we have a deep theological working of God in each and every one of us. And the Lord is manifested in even the most mundane, simple tasks like washing dishes at a restaurant. 
He is involved intimately in our lives, and things that are quote-unquote lucky coincidence sometimes are divine sovereignty. Not like, oh, okay, that just worked out. No, I mean like the Lord has a specific path for you to bless you. I want us to realize that when we live here today, that, that leave here today, that the Word of God speaks far more into every part of our life than we think. But that the enemy of this world, the prince of the power of the air, is trying to separate us from each other, separate us from accountability, separate us from the Word of God to make us think that it's all a fairy tale. And that is not the case. And then we need to see that as a church family, we need to have all of us together. And in your individual family, whether it's a family of one or two or ten, walk by faith. Follow the Lord, glean from Him. Find the little seeds in the soil that He's planted you in. Walk together in the difficulties. Trust Him. He has a plan because we have a Boaz, a man of strength that guides us, our Lord Jesus Christ. And His Holy Spirit, the intercessor, is going to Him saying, look at, my, look at your servant, look at your servant, look what they're doing. Isn't this amazing? And then the servant makes it possible for Ruth to continue. The servant, the Holy Spirit, is serving us and making it possible for us to continue in the Lord. More of that next week. Let's pray. Father, there's just too much, Lord. I couldn't keep up. It's just a buffet, Lord. I, help, I pray that you would help us glean from this message. And that if you will, and if you tarry another week, Lord, as we gather together, we would glean even more from the passage. We pray, Lord, that you would apply these practical lessons to our lives, and but that we would also see that which is even higher than we can comprehend. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for these real lives. I thank you that Ruth was on her hands and knees digging in the dirt for us to learn here millennia later, Lord. You have a perfect plan. I thank you that through your redemptive work, we're a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, speak with you. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.